What's up, everybody? Welcome back to C4C Apologetics. I'm thankful that you're tuning in. If you haven't yet, go ahead, hit the subscribe on this podcast channel. Go ahead over to YouTube, hit the subscribe button as well over there for C4C Apologetics so you can stay updated on the videos, the episodes that we have dropping. You see, I was forwarded this particular article from the Gospel Coalition, which was from February of 2020 by some friends of ours, and I was actually asked to take a look at it. The article title is, How Romans 8 Made Me a Calvinist. And if you know anything about me, you know that I am neither Calvinist nor Arminianist nor is our church. So naturally, the article title drew my attention. I'm thinking to myself, what about Romans chapter 8 led this person into Calvinism? And now I have a thought, I have a sinking suspicion, but I wanted to go ahead and look at this article and find out what the argument was that led this person into Calvinism theology. I'm going to have a link in the art of the article in the description below, so feel free to check it out. And this is going to be a two-part series with this being the first part. And realize first off that I'm not trying to say anything bad against this particular individual, nor am I trying to speak ill about him. The main point of today is to dissect his argument, which leads him into Calvinism. What we're actually going to see, we're going to look at some key things he says. We're going to try to understand where he's coming from, and of course, because you know me, try to pick out any fallacious thoughts or arguments within his thinking process. Then, after we review his statements and we dissect what led him into Calvinism based on this passage, the second part of this series is going to be my thoughts on Romans chapter 8, verses 28-30, and how it does not lead one to Calvinism, and most assuredly does not lead one into Arminianism. Now, I don't know what type of Calvinist this guy converted into. If I had to guess, it would seem to be that he's either a four- or a three-point Calvinist based upon what can be determined in the article, but nothing of the article speaks of the Calvinist's total inability or limited atonement. I'm just assuming he accepts the former and rejects the latter, but what I do know is based on his article, it was John Piper's message who pulled him into Calvinism, according to the article, uh, based upon Romans chapter 8. So without further ado, let's jump right in. So the first thing he mentions is that he was a classical Arminian in the free will Baptist tradition. And even though we don't see it yet in the article, based upon his title and this statement, there's a false dichotomy forming. Now what's a false dichotomy? A false dichotomy is when only two answers are given when in reality there could be more plausible answers. It's also known as the either-or fallacy. For instance, if you were to ask somebody, did you stop smoking because it was uncool? Or did you stop smoking because it was getting expensive? That would be a form of false dichotomy because there could be other reasons that led someone to stop smoking. For instance, they could have recently lost a loved one due to lung cancer and it really hit them hard. Or maybe they realized the unhealthy effects that smoking caused. But the very first thing we can notice in his article right off the bat is the false dichotomy that's going to be forming. He's going to argue that one is either a Calvinist or an Arminian. And unfortunately, it's not unique with him. This is common for almost all Christians. They believe it's either one or the other. You're either a Calvinist or an Arminianist. But that's totally not the case. Have you ever even considered that both the Arminian and the Calvinist are both incorrect? And that we're simply following man's understanding rather than purely trying to study and be the brain out of scriptures for itself? I had to unfortunately tell a pastor before that orthodoxy does not mean accuracy. Get it. 
orthodoxy does not mean accuracy. Just because something is orthodox in a traditional view does not lend credence to the argument. The argument has to stand or fall on its own. You see, the next thing he says is when discussing Romans 8, 28 through 30, he says that verse 29 was definitely a key proof text for the election based on foreseen faith, but the rest of that passage was difficult for him. Speaking of verses 28 and 30. And so we have context. Let me read 28 through 30. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. In whom he justified, them he also glorified. The author is trying to explain that as an Arminian, he could understand verse 29 from the Arminian's point of view, that salvation is based upon God's foreknowledge of who would actually respond to the gospel, but the problems he had were verses 28 and 30, which, according to him in his Arminian theology, spoke contrary to Arminianism, because Arminianism seemed to point that God ensures the person who responds to the gospel is assured and guaranteed of their salvation, a doctrine not held by traditional Arminianists. I can understand the dilemma a little bit here, because while he has one single verse that promotes his view of Arminianism, there are one or two in the immediate context that seems to refute his Arminian view. He goes on to say in the article for many years, he just chalked it up to the unknowable things of God and that we don't have perfect knowledge. How many of us can say the same thing here as well? But the more he looked into it, and it was, again, one of John Piper's message, who I do not uh, agree with theologically by no means, it was a message he heard from John Piper that allowed him in his mind to reconcile how 28 through 30 all fit together, according to him, Calvinistically, as opposed to just one of the three verses being Arminianist and chalking the other two up to unknowable things of God. But he eventually states that, I came to realize Paul's golden chain, like Calvinism, was very much about a guarantee. You see, a guaranteed salvation is contrary to Arminian theology because Arminian theology teaches that one can lose their salvation. And the whole dilemma that this guy's facing is his view of soteriology and free will. As an Arminian, he believed in free will, but Calvinism actually espouses predestination and election, which are biblical terms. However, they're severely misrepresented by the Calvinist. So when you're considering the free will or election, he said, the difference between a God who influences and a God who causes can be summed up in one word, guarantee. This, to the author actually, is a guarantee of salvation which he sees only as a viable option between the cause and effect relationship of God's effectual calling or his irresistible grace. The man believes that man's free will is not truly free, and if we have the free will choice to choose, then we're working for our salvation, which then he posits if one works for it, one can lose it, and thereby there is no guarantee of salvation, which is what he's hinging his whole uh, argument upon, the guarantee of salvation, which I agree there is guarantee, but not according to the Calvinist. So he opts for the cause and effect relationship as opposed to the influence relationship that he talks about earlier. Uh, the cause and effect of God's election being the cause and the man's salvation being the effect of God's election. 
in that it's only by that method can one have a guarantee of salvation, according to the author. But again, this is a false dichotomy because there are another option to how one can have free will to choose and still have eternal security based upon the promises of God's word. And that's because God does all the work in making salvation available to whosoever will, John 3.16. And God guarantees salvation through his power alone, 1 Peter 1.5. But more will be said on that later. He then brings up a diagram of Romans 8.28-30 where he points out at A to B, B to C, C to D, D to E sort of thing, where he says those who were foreknew, A, were predestined, B. And when you're predestined, you're called. When you're called, you're justified. When you're justified, you're glorified. And with this in mind, he mentions that Paul begins by describing a group of people based upon something that God does for them, those whom he foreknew. He then adds something else God does for the same group of people, he predestined. The word also in each link tells us that we're dealing with the same people in both halves. And that much I actually agree with him, but his definition of the terms and conclusion that follows is his false dichotomy, I don't agree with. He says, as an Arminian, I've been forced to argue that these five steps were simply a general sequence of all true saints that they had to pass through with no guarantee that those in group A would make it to group E. And so again, this is Arminian doctrine, Arminian theology, that the ability to lose one's salvation removes the guarantee he spoke of earlier that drew him to Calvinism, which is not actually a guarantee according to Calvinism. It's actually a probational type security, which we have other videos on that. Realize, according to his traditional Arminian theology, a person has to go through these steps, A through E, these steps of progressive sanctification, essentially working for and maintaining their own salvation, which I agree with him, uh, uh, that that does not save. There is no guarantee if you have to work for your salvation, which interestingly and funny enough, Calvinism more or less espouses the same view by their fruits. You will know them, which is not talking about fruits of salvation. It's talking about a false prophet's message, but I digress. The author concludes his thinking with, If all the called get justified, then the call must guarantee faith, since faith precedes justification, Romans 5.1. Further, if all the justified get glorified, then justification must be a permanent status, a verdict that God never revokes. Amen. I'm glad it is only by the grace of God and God's process that we can have eternal security and blessed assurance of our salvation. God never revokes his verdict of a Christian being justified because God sees us when we come to him for salvation with the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. But nearing the end of the article, he states, In the Arminian influence and response framework, where there's free will, he says that in Arminian theology there can be no guarantee. But that would essentially defeat the purpose of the passage because a guarantee is actually what Paul is after with these verses. And again, this is the false dichotomy. Just because Arminius theology teaches influence and response framework, whereas God influences an individual and the individual can respond free willingly to make a choice, that doesn't negate eternal security. It may negate it from an Arminian theology standpoint, but there are other theologies, other frameworks, other uh, biblical positions to hold. That's the false dichotomy that's showing here. Now, it might be a true statement 
that based upon an Arminian view that you cannot have that free will and the guarantee of salvation. But again, it does not negate the truthfulness of the freedom of choice that you and I have to choose the eternal life. Jesus told somebody during his earthly ministry who asked Jesus the question, what, what, must I, uh, what is the work that we work, the uh, works of God? He said, this is the work of God that you believe on whom he has sent. Jesus Christ said that in order to receive the eternal life, we must believe in the finished work of Christ. You see, the entirety of the Gospel of John is all about Jesus' offer of salvation be extended to all people. How cruel of a God would a God be if he extended an offer to all people if God never chose them to respond, if they never had the free will choice to respond? That would be a cruel God. And unfortunately, that is the God that Calvinists paint Jehovah, Yahweh, our God as. That is not the God of the Bible. So while he's removing himself from Arminianism, it leads him to remove himself again from the partial truth found within the doctrines of the Bible, namely the free will choice and soteriology. Realize when he speaks of the influence and response framework, it does not speak to predestination unto salvation, but rather the ability to respond. It's a matter of the soteriology uh, sovereignty versus free will debate. How one receives eternal life, not the debate of the security of the believer. These are different discussions. But what actually startles me is his final conclusion. You see, he left Arminianism because it provided no guarantee of salvation based upon Romans 8, 28 through 30. But then he says this, But the good news is that the chain is unbreakable, having been forged by God himself. None of this means that our preaching or faith is unnecessary, nor does it mean we can be assured of our salvation regardless of whether we persevere. It simply means that God hasn't left the composition of Christ's family in the hands of fickle human beings. So, there's one sentence in this final paragraph he sums everything up with that I'm having a difficult time understanding. And it's the statement that he says, Nor does it mean we can be assured of our salvation, regardless of whether we persevere. That sentence was confusing me. And so I had to ask a few different pastors of mine and just ask him what the sentence meant to them. And it, it confused them at first as well. This sentence just doesn't seem to be framed properly grammatically. But once we really tried to dissect the sentence and what is the thought behind it, the consensus seemed to be that this individual is trying to say, whereas there is no guarantee of salvation in Arminianism, because one had to progress through Romans 8, 29, and 30, there was a guarantee of salvation. However, that guarantee of salvation is only guaranteed because God predetermined who would be saved. But even if a person persevered, he could not be assured he was going to heaven. Let me read a statement again. Nor does it mean we can be assured of our salvation regardless of whether we persevere. So if we take just that first half, nor does it mean we can be assured of our salvation. So while he left a view of Arminianism, which taught one could have assurance if they continued to strive, he left that view to another view of Calvinism, where he had no assurance of salvation, but realized salvation was guaranteed to whoever had it based upon God's determining on who would get saved. 
even though they couldn't know until the end, which is what he said, regardless of whether we persevere. We it does not mean, nor does it mean, we can be assured of our salvation. So in essence, he's saying salvation, the family of God is in God's hands based upon an election and predestination, no matter how hard he tries. And even though he fails at times, if he does go to heaven, it's only because God chose the family. Essentially, this view is no different from Islam, in which Muhammad taught that he would only go to heaven if Allah wills. His final summation of Romans 8, 28 through 30 is this paragraph. What guarantee can we possibly have, despite all appearances, all things will conspire for the good to those who love God and are called by him? That's the question the golden chain exists to answer. That's why verse 29 begins with the word for. It's providing an article for how we know verse 28. And here's the article in a nutshell. We know that all things will work together for the good of the called, because if you're called, that means you are first foreknown and predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, and it means you are now justified and will eventually be glorified. That all things working for good is a guarantee and the reason for this chain in verses 29 and 30. He says that all things work for good if you're called because you are predestined and you will be glorified, even if you can't know if you are called. This is, of course, according to his newly held Calvinistic view. So again, this individual is leaving an Arminian theology which taught assurance of salvation based upon man's works and left it for a Calvinist theology which te teaches a guaranteed salvation even though you can't have assurance of whether you have that guarantee. And that's it. Stay tuned for part two of the article where I break down Romans 8, 28, and 30 and explain the false dichotomy that this individual believes in and how there truly is another option. And the option is based upon biblical salvation, biblical grace, and biblical security. And it's all based upon the love of God, the grace of God, and the power of God. So that's it. Thanks for checking in. Until next time, God bless.